Welcome to the Grazing Podcast for Robertson Sheetham Farmers Co-op. My name is Clint, and I will be your host as we record live from our beautiful Springfield, Tennessee location inside our podcast studio. Robertson Cheatham is a member-owned farm supply cooperative. You can learn more about us on our website, yourfarmerscoop.com, in addition to our Facebook and Instagram pages. Welcome back to the Grazing Podcast for Robertson Cheatham Farmers Co-op. Our guest today is Mr. Lake Elliott of Robert Elliott & Sons Angus Farm. The farm is a diversified agriculture operation that raises purebred Angus cattle and tobacco, and they will be holding their 89th annual sale, as far as bulls and cows, on February the 26th of this month. Lake, I appreciate you taking time to sit down with me on this. I think I called you, let's see, what is today? Today's Wednesday. I think we talked on Monday. And I tried to call you earlier, just so I thought maybe he's not going to be as busy in the morning. But as soon as you picked up the phone, I could hear cows bawling in the background. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, it might be a long shot because they got a sale coming up. They're busy. So... I appreciate you taking the time to to sit down with me and talk about what y'all got going on here. I appreciate the opportunity, Clint. Oh, so Lake, we, you know, my family, my dad in particular, has been doing you know business with y'all for golly, it it predates me. He always tells me um, when y'all, I don't know when this may have been in the eighties, but y'all had the sale in a tobacco barn out here, and it was pri- it was a private treaty type sale. Yes, long time ago. Yes, when it we we uh, I remember when I was growing up, uh, we always would take the bulls, kind of grade them on quality and their EPDs, and we would send out a flyer uh, kind of deal with all the information, uh, birth weights, weaning weights, yearling weights. That was kind of before people started ultrasounding for carcass stuff. We'd put out a pamphlet. Basically, Dad would set a date, I think a lot, I, th- I want to say somewhere around the 20th of February, and it didn't matter what day of the week that was, it was first come, first serve, and there was a base price on all the bulls, and, you know, sometimes that date would fall on the Sunday morning, and people would be lined up at his mm. back door, and uh, in the mid-90s, uh, we decided biannually we would offer uh, kind of a mature cow herd reduction. We could, uh, doing it biannually, we saw we could retain more heifers as we made progress. And then, like you alluded to, that's about the same time, maybe a few years before that first female sale, we had what you'd call an open house format. And that's when we had it in the Burley Barn down Mm -hmm. here in the bull lot. And... uh, what kind of the the rules to that was we had a base price on the bulls and uh, you could appraise the bulls we would give you a card and you would claim the bulls that you wanted to bid on mm. so if the sale started at noon by 11:45 you had to have your card turned in and then we knew who was in play we dad was the auctioneer and there was not a lot of Yada yada yada. It was okay. <laughs> if you're in on this bull, we start at twenty five hundred. I think I think he did hundred dollar increments, and then it just kind of until you got a final bid. Mm. And then with that, we saw on the female side 
the opportunity. We'd grown enough numbers, and we would sell, at that point in time, all our six-year-olds pairs. And with the overhead of marketing cost, ads, everything, I want to say it was about 1999 was the first year where we established the fourth Monday in February. We had a true production sale, both females and bulls. Mm. Um, just the overhead of labor at a certain time, uh, just the advertising, the sales staff, whether it's auctioneers, ringmen, just kind of gather everything at once. Mm-hmm. And that that is the format we, format we have used since the late 90s to current day. So it's safe to say it's evolved over time, just just like the industry itself has. Yes, yes, and we've done some different things. Uh, you know, the bread and butter is still service-age bulls. Uh, about 20 years ago, before I moved home, we decided not to retain herd bulls to keep around uh, all year long and let them tear stuff up and all, all those things like <laughs> right. that that you're familiar with, Clint. And so if you look at our catalog, uh, the ABC bulls, Mm -hmm. they're what we think are, I wouldn't say they're the most elite in certain scenarios. Sometimes when you're looking at what you're going to be breeding them to, sometimes that most elite bull is so highly related to animals that they're going to come back on you just there's not a pocket to use that bull as the ABC, mm. and the terms on those ABC bulls are, they would have been turned into cows uh, about the fifteenth of January of each year, um, the day before the sale, right after lunch on that Sunday, we'll pull them and a bred heifer from their respected groups, and we will display them for the sale. As soon as we start talking in that auction block, I'll have a crew load those bulls up to where there's not an over a 24-hour period to where if something's in heat, we don't miss a potential breeding on an animal in the herd. Mm. And the terms on those bulls are uh, we we retain a third semen revenue sharing interest on those bulls just in case we've got great progeny. Say if you buy one of them, you've got great progeny and they prove out, we might talk to somebody from a semen company or somebody or a regional manager might see, you know, these, these calves by that, that lot B bull that Lake and Joe sold last year, you know, they're pretty good. You might want to look at them and look at the cow family. And it it's never happened for us, but it's not uncommon for those kind of bulls at the time that aren't sought by a semen company. Uh but when they get a really good group of progeny on the ground at, at multiple farms, a semen company would be like, hey, that's something we need to invest in. Mm. It's not as much of a blind investment because they have been able to look at large groups of progeny. And another reason we retain that third revenue semen interest is if we do get a Cracker Jack set of calves, we want the opportunity at the buyer's convenience to get that bull when he's resting maybe collect some semen and then use some of that semen in our herd to see after the success that we've seen that bull could provide for us. Sure. Sure. It just, it allows you to maintain, um, obviously an interest, like you said, because you don't, 
if you have faith in this animal and you see the product of what he's produced and you want to say, well, I'd like to be able to have a chance to get some of his semen to, to put back in the herd potentially. So it's, it's obviously good for the buyer, but it's good for y'all as well. Well, it's just like the bull that topped the sale last year. Uh, he was one of those bulls, like I said, not the most elite bull is an ABC. He was a bull that had a little lower CED, calving East Direct, and a little higher birth weight. Well, for selling bulls in the southeast, I'd have probably taken a ding on those progeny mm-hmm. and then working around that birth weight through, through his daughter's progeny and all that. But um, that bull ended up going to Colorado to a herd and uh, talked to one of the owners of him the other night. Said, calves look great. They're coming lighter than what he does on paper. And they're going to get the bull collected. I don't know if we'll ever sell any semen. But I think now that we're going to be a generation or two, and it's not as, his genetics aren't as close-knit, and our herd is the progress we've made, I can find some spots to put that bull in. Because mm. phenotypically, that bull, to me, might have been the best animal we've ever raised here. But mm-hmm. from a marketing standpoint and the emphasis of calving ease in the southeast, it was just something that we weren't comfortable with at the time. We thought that maybe he gets proved and maybe, I mean, he could have gone higher or lower CD, higher birth weight. But right now, from what I'm hearing from the operation in, in Colorado, he's going the other direction. So we didn't want to lose a stake if things change right. to not have the opportunity because phenotypically and performance standpoint, that bull was a knockout. It's interesting how geography plays a part in that. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of geography. I think uh, a little bit of it with we talk about evolution and things changing, and uh, I certainly uh, I think the genomic process that goes through these cattle and the testing it is it is really good. Uh, a lot of people have a mindset that well, if you genome them, they're going to get better. Well. Not necessarily. And what that bull was not that heavy at birth. There were really no indicators in that pedigree. Just when the genomics came back, his markers for birth weight and CED kind of rolled him towards a less favorable mm-hmm. scenario for us. So as you get those phenotypic proofs in on progeny, kind of helps get more accurate accurate uh, right. evaluation of what the bull actually yes it's it's interesting to me what y'all are so used to this by now it's probably just you know it's old hat to you but you know the cow calf side of it you know you 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 sell the calves in a preconditioned sale or just a regular sale on thursday or monday and then they somebody buys them and then off they go and that's the end of it unless i guess you retain ownership which i don't have any experience in but the fact that you've got a product going to another state and producing for an operation out there that's pretty neat, I think. Yes, it is. It's, uh, you know, one of the things about that scenario is is uh, when you get out to Colorado and some, of, I would say, Upper Plains states, uh, they have to deal a lot with altitude mm. considerations and the, the, the PAP thing. And so they were real diligent. The bull got out there. They did a pap test on him, which I think he's got to be in that environment for, I think it's 40-plus days. And then they, it's a pulmonary test 
to where they gauge him and he was he was more than acceptable for mm. what they wanted. We knew it was kind of a gamble that bull going out there because those those environmental pressures for what they're dealing with aren't here. Mm-hmm. So, well, what about um, which I've never heard of that before? That's fascinating as far as an altitude type of factor. They call it brisket disease, Bri- pap, but. Brisket disease is kind of the cowboy term, I guess you would say. Is is it reciprocated if, say, if there's a bull that's raised out there in that environment and then comes to the southeast? Uh, not as much. I think I think the high altitude is what directly affects it. Directly affects it. I think I think one that comes from he, from there to here might do better because of we don't have that. Sure. The I guess it's oxygen level or lower out there. That's I above suppose. my pay grade on the scientific <laughs> side. I do know it's a concern. Sure, sure. What about the changes in forages out there? Because obviously Colorado is going to have a different forage base than here. Is there a certain which I don't know if you can speak on their behalf for this, but what's the is there a concern with that that they inquire to y'all like hey if, once we bring this bull out do you recommend giving us some you know, regular fescue hay to transition them slowly, or how does that? How does that I don't work? know how much access they would have to like a, a fescue hay or anything nutritionally. One thing when we're developing these cattle, we don't press them just to get sloppy fat. Mm-hmm. We, you know, you see everybody's like, well, if you get them fat cells, fat cells. Well, on the other hand, you've seen fat cattle that they go and then they have to go. They're good and chubby, and then they have to go to work, and their tongue's hanging out after they're running behind cows for three weeks. And, you know, one of the things for us is our business, we, we, we more than appreciate new customers, but we thrive off repeat customers and creating repeat customers. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason from a nutritional standpoint we we want them to be fleshy and easy doing, but we don't want them just gobby fat right. and ready to melt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's interesting how uh, I I don't have any experience in purchasing a bull, you know, west of the Mississippi River, but I've always heard that's a concern. Um, you know, if they're fat out there, whatever forage or feed they've been on, and you bring them here at this environment and the humidity and the heat and the forage base, they just fall apart. So here, you know, you've got to. There's something to be said for purchasing from a local producer where they've, and, and that's what I appreciate appreciate in y'all's catalog. There, there's the page. I think it was. Um, let me see here. Talking about the a little bit about our environment management. Yeah, deal. yeah. Where is that at? That's near the front. It on page eight and nine, like mature yeah. cow size. Mature cow size. Know. Yep. The doctor uh, uh, Troy Rowan wrote. Yep. Well, that's you know, there's valuable information in there that that makes sense as far as you know, being a grass farmer. That's that's what you are before cow farming, right? Right. And matching your animals' needs to the environment that they're in, and uh, you know, we've got a particular environment here. And you know, for me as a producer, I like kind of like you said, I don't want them to be just waddling when they walk, just gobby fat. But it, you know, we. Uh, Trying to think about the bull we have right now. He's a surefire son, right? That uh, we bought from y'all, and he he will stay fat on a rock pile, right? He, I mean, he looks you, fantastic. You get cattle like that, and you love to see you love to see that that 
ease of maintenance. Yes. Uh, you know, I you know, there's a fine line between that. Well, like a bull like that. I mean, you don't want the gobby fat ones, but you don't want the one that no matter what time of the year it is, you can count all his reps. Right. Exactly. And and he, you know, my experience seeing him and, and watching him go to work. He has great stamina. I mean, he's athletic, moves like a cat, but he just maintains flesh so, so easy. And, uh, you know, that that's what I'm looking for. Oh, like yes. Like you said, you don't, you don't want to count the ribs in the, during the especially this time of year. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, there's something to be said for that is, as far as, um, let's say if there's a, there, if y'all have somebody that comes, maybe they've never been to an Elliott sale before. This is their first time. Um they're in the market for a herd bull. What would be your advice to them as far as, you know, this is their first time at this sale. What, of course, you want to know their goals the first thing, I'm, I'm sure. Right, right. But, you know, as far as your management practices, why, why should someone consider um, coming to a sale and looking long and hard into it as far as purchasing a potential herd bull? I think a lot of it goes to our philosophy within the cow herd. Uh, we are a total fall calving herd. Uh, we pull bulls around St. Patrick's Day. Everything that's not in the sale, unless they calve late in December, we'll have one shot of AI in them, and then a herd bull goes behind them. The ones that calve after about the 10th of December, um, depending on how we're running on cow numbers to where if we've got plenty of cow numbers, a lot of times we'll offer those three years old or older that calve after the 10th of December. We'll put them in the sale. A few reasons for that. Uh, First is we, we have enough numbers and there are people that have spring calving herds. And I'll breed those things, and I usually, actually, I, the, there's one that's in the sale. It was her year to sale this year. I'll breed her Saturday. So that would put her calving right around the end of November. Well, if she doesn't stick and somebody's got a spring calving herd, they can just roll that cow into that right. herd. Yeah. And the, on the two-year-olds that do after that, we'll just put them straight to the bull because – like I told you off air before we started this, we were talking about calving seasons. You know, I'm looking at calving, start calving the first end of October. I'll have some in the end of September. And by about the 10th of November, um, we are 80% done calving. And then what, we get into what I call the strag- straggler period. You mm-hmm. know, it's just, you know, hurry up and wait, whatever. But what I will say is... We pull those bulls. Um, we will pregnancy test uh, by blood first of April, which not all everything will show up pregnant that is pregnant because that's a thirty day test. Uh, when you know, whenever it's thirty days after that, the ones that come back open, I'll rebleed, and then it's done. Mm. And so any uh, bread half. Out of the bread heifer group, I guess you would say, anything that's open gets shipped. Mm. And then identify those cows that have got calves at their side open. Uh, we will sort those bull pairs that are open out uh, just because when you're managing them and they're in heat, 
all the little bull calves are curious and want to try to ride them, and then you have some problems with prolapses and things of that nature. But uh, as soon as we wean, we usually wean uh, about the 10th of June. We'll uh, get those calves weaned. We'll fence line wean. And as soon as they're caught up, I will pull those cows that were open out of the heifer or the bull group, put them together, and then I sell them at the last sale in June. It got through the customer appreciation sale. Mm-hmm. It seems to be a really good uh, good marketing opportunity. So just to kind of come full circle back on that wide by here, when you're buying a cow, you're buying into a cow family. And if we're getting rid of opens and not giving them a second chance, we think what we're doing is eliminating problems that could be hidden back in that bull's wood pile mm. that might show back up. Sure. You know, take the bad out, keep the good in from, from a reproductive and, and longevity standpoint. Sure. Just, just culling any potential weakness that could show back up. And another thing that we do, um, when we, get to right before yearling on our replacement heifers. We'll pull genomics. Anything that doesn't, from a performance and numeric standpoint, uh, isn't going to cut the mustard. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't necessarily cull them unless they're just a dog. Uh, But we do see some good in them. We'll t- make them recipient dams. Mm. So we'll put we'll let them be a part of our embryo transfer program as a recipient. And as we cows get older, you, we make a uh, every year, whether it's the yearlings, bulls, or heifers, and even the cow. What's in the cow herd, we score feed. So if we start to see a foot problem in a mature cow, um, they go to the recip herd. Mm. Uh, a lot of people would say, why don't you call them or whatever. Well, if their feet get bad enough, yes. But we're taking their genetics out of our gene pool. We're just letting them be a passenger pigeon, sure. essentially. And one of the advantages we see of doing that and, and kind of putting them in that recipient herd is we're closed herd. Mm-hmm. So the biosecurity, the commingling of cattle – that goes all the way to where if you buy a bull or somebody, you know, 20 minutes from here buys a bull, they know that that animal has not been commingled with anything. We're extremely aggressive about our herd health. We do TB, bangs, yonis, anaplas, test for that in the spring on everything. So you're buying a, an animal that is healthy and has not been exposed to anything unhealthy. And the, the peace of mind that comes with that, is that hard to put a price on that? Yes. And, uh, you know, we, uh, I say we, we have a closed herd as far as live animals. I have went out and bought some embryo packages myself just because in developing bulls here, it's, worked really good for us and it works good for a lot of people just the opportunity to come here buy three quarter brothers buy flush brothers turn them out together and that customer that we have has the ability to help the uniformity of their calf crop as they market them and put you know lot loads together to where they can get more of a premium Mm -hmm. 
And but when I go back to buying those embryo lots, I can use some genetics that are a little bit different to where if we're so tight within our, our cat, the female base, I can introduce some outcross genetics without compromising the biosecurity of the herd's health. Mm. The, the science that goes into all this, um, you know, if you're not in the cow business, People, I think, would be taken back by the decision-making based on the science that has to go into this because with a, with a seed stock producer, you know, with a, with a cow-calf producer, let's start with that. You know, with me, it's very simplistic for, for the most part. It, it's a relative term, but it's simplistic in the way of record-keeping. When I have a calf born, I don't have to go out and weigh it. Um, you know, it's it's a lot less labor-intensive, too, I think. But with, with a purebred herd, like what y'all do, it's um, – it's a lot of moving parts in it yes. that have to be kept up with. And you have to have help. Mm-hmm. I would say, like, It's hard to do it all I, by yourself. Well, and I think when you – I don't even know if it's limited to, to the ag or animal field. I just think finding labor in general in any yeah. sector of, of what we do in our country. But it is difficult. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm – we're truly blessed here. Uh, we have we're enrolled in the H two A programs, mm-hmm. and I've got some guys that that will stay with us uh, through about the middle of March, and then uh, over the years, the relationships we've built, uh, a lot of them go back to when I was a junior showing cattle. I networked with people, and you know, this Monday, I guess it's when you called me. I mm-hmm. was we were I had some good friends that I grew up through the show deal and they came in and helped me clip those calves and you know two guys helped me that day and one of the guys held over and we finished the bulls up on tuesday so yeah the labor thing um it's a it's a hardship for a, a lot of people and i think with the way we breed cattle um we try to make things easier on our customers mm-hmm. whether it's calving ease um disposition i mean five years ago i got we were videoing bulls and i got banged up i was down for a month luckily i had i had three h2a workers my uncle and dad that could help fill the void for me not being there a lot of these guys that are smaller producers if they get beat up their cows might not get fed Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean we pay a lot of attention to you know Foot udder quality. Nobody wants to have a bad udder and have to nurse it. Nobody wants an evil one that's going to go and and scare them from and make them want to sell all their cows. Right. Okay, you know it's it's little things like that that we pay a lot of attention to because we've got to make the purchase whether you're buying a bull or a female from us. What we're doing, what they're doing, it's a labor of love. Nobody's getting rich doing this. I think. You, you, we, we, you can right. say amen to that. Yes. Uh, it's labor love. We enjoy the lifestyle. We enjoy the 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 networking, the friendships, things of that sort. So that's – we want to make a purchase from us as convenient as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, I can, I can attest from experience y'all do a great job of that. And, and speaking on the part where you're talking about making it simple for the, the producer – you know, that bull I told you about, that surefire bull. As far as maintenance goes, we don't have to do anything with him. 
I right. mean, he's just he's just low maintenance. And the beautiful thing about him, as far as docility, you can load him out in the field if you have to. Now, obviously, they're not all that way, but right. but as far as docility, couldn't ask for a, a, a animal with a better disposition than him. And uh, you know, that's how you. I think obviously there's there's many factors that go into keeping repeat customers, but you know once you build that relationship, you talked about kind of the uh, the networking, the camaraderie of this industry, and you can build trust and relationships, and the the, the producers know what they're getting when they come here. Um, they have an expectation, and they know they're going to get that. That's that's a wonderful thing. It's it's a wonderful thing to have a local seed stock producer here in the county that you can depend on, you know, for your bull needs if you're interested in a purebred Angus bull. Um, so, you know, kudos to y'all because you've been doing this a long time and able to stay in business and whatever y'all are doing, you know, you, it's it's working really well. Yeah, I w- one thing I would say is uh, my phone, I might not answer if you call me right off the bat. You leave me a message, I'll return your call. The way especially uh, – it's probably a little bit more on the bulls because I'm a little bit more tempered to it. And let's be real honest, that bull is going to cover a lot of your financial stuff as far as the calf crop. I mean, and he, he dictates your future on a mm. large picture. So if you have any questions, call me. Uh, let's visit. Uh, I want to know about what your goals are. I want to know what you like and what you don't like. Uh, I'm not going to just sit here and windrow a catalog and go through every animal. You tell me what you don't want. I can say, well, this one don't work. This one won't work. This one's probably going to come to the top. You know, I'm not trying to, I guess I am trying to sell you things, but I will probably come closer to steering you away from an animal than I will towards an animal. Because I'm, I'm just not a used car salesman. Okay, I, I, I just, I like the salesmanship, but I like the relationships better. And that's, I won't. If I, if you call me tonight off air and say, "Hey, this is what we want. This is what we need," we can have a conversation. We've all got things going on. You, you know, let's 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 just bundle that conversation up. Make it a nice, neat little package. Let's both parties get out of it what we need and go on. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think people appreciate that and prefer that side of it versus just trying to, you know, people can pick out a salesman when there's a salesman mentality. I can recognize it really right. quick, and it's kind of, it's off put it's off putting to me. I can't <laughs> speak for everybody. So the fact you can, you know, you have the communication skills just to talk to somebody like you're doing me right now. Like, what are your goals? Okay, well, this bull may be a good fit for you. Uh, between, you know, lot 14 and 15, based on what you're telling me, I'd nudge you towards, you know, lot 14 instead of 15. Just the fact you can have that honest, right. candid conversation. That's, that's what people want. You know what I mean? And uh, Communication is such a big thing nowadays, you know, because b- the bull market, you know, bulls are – like everything else, they're high right now. Right, everything's right. going high, but it's such a massive investment in the the future of your herd, especially if you retain females. It's that's a big oh, deal. Yeah, I mean, deal. you get a you get a bull that, and and hey, bull's feet go bad. 
We use every selection criteria. We fit score cows before we use the bull. We scour the country. Like, what do you think about the feed on these cattle? You know, things happen. Mm-hmm. And one thing about it, if you do get a bull from us that's bad footed, we're going to do anything we can to make it right. Uh, but it's it's sickening when you use a bull, and we've used bulls, come up bad footed. I've got 20 daughters. It's a sickening feeling. <laughs> and so that's why we're diligent and we want to work with our customers because we know there is no worse feeling than, I mean, that, that group of heifers was supposed to be your future. Mm. And then you have to dink and dunk through them to get replacements. You might have to go buy replacements to keep your cow numbers right when you thought, hey, I'm going to buy this bull. I'm going to keep everything in house. Let's go. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a pretty sickening feeling. Yeah, yeah, and you you do everything you can possibly do to to limit that from happening, but nothing's perfect, and sometimes that that's an unfortunate side of it. It, it could happen, um, but the fact that y'all are willing to work with the customer because that's what people want. You know what I mean? Like unfortunate things will happen, but you know I've heard horror stories of uh, other producers, probably in other states, but. As far as, um, you know, not honoring certain agreements. If it wasn't really in writing, then maybe they don't honor it. They're just, it's more of making a, making money rather than taking care of the customer. And, uh, again, that's probably few and far between. Right. But and that, there's bad players in every game, essentially. But just the fact that, you know, I want to do business with somebody that you, that you can trust and have that relationship built. And y'all do an excellent job of that here. Is, so this is the 89th sale. It's the 89th year. It's not the 89th sale. It's the 89th year of us being a registered Angus operation. Okay. So 1935 was the first year. That was the year that my grandfather graduated from high school. His initial investment out of high school was he bought some bre- some Angus bread heifers. Mm-hmm. And so through that... Um, Kind of built it up uh, in the 1950s, started doing some AI work, uh, really diligent about uh, kind of on the front end of recording records, turning them into American Egg Association, you know, trying to do things right. And then as, as things evolve, there's more weights to record that figure into the EPDs. And then we get go through, you know, it's just an evolution, you know, mm-hmm. AI, ET, uh, embryo transfer, uh Carcass evaluation. Then you get into genomics, like you said earlier in this podcast. You know, it's just you, you never stop learning mm-hmm. in this deal. So, do you? And I, I mean, it sounds like he was a pioneer as far as in this area, as far as that goes in the seed stock part of it. Um, do you have any? Did you grow up around him? Some uh, where. Where my dad grew up is over by exit 19. Uh, that's where my uncle lives current day. Uh, when my dad was in college, I won't say the years to keep him happy, but uh, when he was in college, I-24 cut through that farm. Oh, that's terrible. And so, well, um, it was terrible, but uh, dad knew he wanted to come back here, had a feeling that Uncle William wanted to come back here, and uh, granddad kind of when dad was, I think he was a junior in college, might have been going into a senior year or whatever it was, bought this farm right here. 
not all of this farm right here. There was some on the south side. I want to say about a hundred acres that was bought in the eighties. But uh, bought this farm. Uh, dad and, and his dad, while my uncle was in college, um, farmed at the homestead place. This farm. We had some rental farms. We actually farmed where Eastland Green's golf course is. Oh, no kidding. Yep, that was a rental farm of ours. And uh, so I've I've always been around it, you know, from uh, the, the little red house that I live in. That's where when mom and dad got married, and that's where I was born. And then before my brother was married, or my brother was born, they moved into the house they currently live in. So, yeah, I've always enjoyed the cattle. Uh, I always enjoyed the farming operation. I mean, you and I both grew up as kids around tobacco, and we didn't have the labor resources we had to do a lot of, and it wasn't much fun. <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, I've always enjoyed the cattle, and I think I always like showing. We always showed steers and heifers that we raised. But I think... As I got to be about 12, 13 years old, I was given the opportunity to go to my first uh, National Junior Angus show. And then just the networking, learning about people's operations, kind of in our region, but other places in the country. You know, competing, not necessarily in the show ring, but uh, things like uh, team sales cook-offs, public speaking, things like that. You get to meet a lot of people and those relationships are truly valuable to me to this day. Uh, they're people I can call on. It's it's given me the opportunity to network with people. Like when I, we talk about bull selection, oh, I've, there's people I can call in South Dakota or Virginia or Ohio and be like, hey, what bull X? Mm. I saw in the, the Select Sires catalog, I see, I've seen you've got progeny. Describe them as a whole. Well, I hear you've got wet daughters. Tell me what you think about them. I, I really respect their opinion and their honesty. And those are the things we need to move forward. So I wouldn't say it's privileged information, but I can have a lot more confidence in what I'm moving forward with sure. through those relationships. Well, that's pretty special in the fact that you could reach out to, like you said, South Dakota, North Dakota, the people that have this experience that I, I would imagine helps you, you taking that, you might not agree or disagree or however, but you can still, that's still extra data for you to have in your decision-making process as far as, you know, whatever genes are present you're looking at using to invest in. It's just one more avenue for you to use, which would be, you know, I imagine that's very helpful to you. Uh, well, I mean, you can have an information overload for sure in anything that you do, but when you've got good relationships and people that are going to be honest and you know not every word out of their mouth is going to be positive about mm-hmm. a bull. I mean, I I don't want, like I said, go back to the car salesman deal. You know, you don't. And I I prefer to talk to people that don't own a part of the bull. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, and I do talk to those that own a part of the bull, and they're going to be, I know those people are going to be honest mm-hmm. enough about things. But having somebody that the only dog they've got in the fight is those progeny, really, when you can find that, you can you can really get some transparency. It can it 
cuts through any potential bias that could, yes, could absolutely, be present. Absolutely, absolutely. So you know, I imagine it's you're always you have to live in the present, but you're also looking at the long game of this as far as. I don't know, five, I'm sure you have five-year goals, 10-year goals, or maybe you don't. Maybe it's more of a present matter. But when it comes to future selection of the progeny that you're looking at, you, like that you, you're going to use, what goes into that decision-making? Well, I guess it starts with marketing, and I'll, I'll, and I'll work backwards. So we're selling 18-month-old bulls. Three of the bulls that we're offering we're using in our herd. And then we're selling all our five-year-old cows that aren't a recipient cow. And we'll sell a few younger just to keep the numbers up. Um, I guess it's kind of a cyclical methodology in the way we breed. Uh, I've always told people, when I put a unit of semen in a cow, and two years from that time, I'm marketing a bull or... In three years, she's got a wet two-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. So, I don't try to breed just to get bulls. And I don't breed just to get females. Um, we are extremely mindful of what the end product of the beef industry is. That beautiful ribeye on your plate, whether it's at a restaurant or at your home. But on the other hand, we're not going to chase total carcass to have a cow herd that makes you want to lose your breakfast when you go out and look at them in the morning. So when you look from a marketing standpoint, and we've already referred to our successes, repeat customers and potential repeat customers. And we've also alluded to nobody's getting rich. And I think you would agree that if you're not finding a value-added niche as a commercial cow-calf producer, you're leaving money on the table that's going to pay that that bank note. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at longevity, which we've kind of already in our cow herd. We want that bull to, no matter if he has steer calves, heifer calves. If those steer calves can bring a premium for carcass, that's great. If those heifer calves, say you get a, you get a crop of thirty heifer calves, and you're like, "Well, they're real nice. Need to keep 20. and you get hooked in with whether it's a private treaty deal or a special uh, specialized sale like these bred heifer sales that Kentucky Tennessee puts on. Mm-hmm. The value added there. We want to have a bull that will go out, and you can put those groups together. There's enough quality there. There's enough docility and disposition there to where you're not the only person that is. You're a repeat customer of mine, but you're looking at building a repeat repeat customer base for yourself, whether it's buying steers of higher quality or somebody's buying bred heifers from you. Well, heck, even if they're buying yearling heifers through a cph sale or something like that and they get a bond with you to us it's all about longevity mm. and uh informing relationships so I, I trust me i understand i'm not the only person with a seed stock producer is not the only person in the cattle industry with repeat customers and it should no one should ever have that mindset mm-hmm. 
Well, it, it seems like you know you you want to have a product that could that fits all potential niches, but can also be sold kind of what you're saying, like a, a CPH sale, mm-hmm. for example. And um, you know that's that, that seems like where the, well, that's where the industry is headed. I get as far you said niche market. Um, that's something that has to be taken into consideration for a lot of people because if you don't have that, it's it's hard to pay the note, like you said. Well, and another thing, and I think COVID kind of pressed pushed mm-hmm. it in a little bit harder. I think it was kind of ramping up, and then you know, in the first few months of COVID, uh, everybody's grocery stores are empty. <laughs> Everybody wanted, you know, it pushed this homegrown beef deal. Mm-hmm. And I think we're getting a lot of people that are wanting that just, you know, top 5% of our bulls or top 15% of our bulls marbling. These guys, they're going to get it because they're selling cut-by-cut beef. They've got a freezer beef deal. And that, hey, they're doing what that consumer wants them to do. Hey, let's be real honest with one another. They're getting paid a heck of a premium over going mm-hmm. to a chain grocery store. Mm-hmm. I mean, now they have to do a lot of legwork. I mean, there's a lot of... I, if they can make it work, they can make it work. I don't know if I could deal with some of that clientele. <laughs> yeah, uh, it can be high maintenance from what I've been yes. told, for sure. I mean, you're dealing with uh, <laughs> uh, di- people from a completely different culture um, than probably what you're used to. Because, like you said, COVID, it made people very health conscious where their food's coming from. And with that, you know, you can get some different varieties of people with different personalities that can be difficult to work with potentially, potentially. Um, but yeah, it's a different clientele altogether from, from what you deal with. Yeah. Here. Um, so this sale, not, it's not the 89th sale. This is the 89th year in the and pure the, yes, yep, business. Yep. So that's coming up, not this coming Monday, Next Monday, two weeks from what's the 20, 26, 26, 26. So at the farm and uh, Adam's address, Stroudsville Community, uh, 1291 North Stroudsville Road. So, February the 26th, sale starts at noon. So, in this sale, Lake, what are you most excited about, or what are some of the things you'd like to highlight? Um, I think when I do a general summation of the bulls, uh, as of right now, we've still got one more breeding soundness check on a few bulls, but we'll be selling up to 45 bulls. Now, we've got some scratches in the catalog. I'm not going to get in here and uh, talk about that. But uh, the three largest sire groups that we've got would be uh, Resilient, Sunbeam, and Trustee. Uh, we've got uh, one direct dark fire in here. Um, it's some Niagara grandsons, uh, just, uh, I think the thing I, the, as a general summation of these bulls, they're a solid set. Uh, a lot of years our bottom end bulls have been good enough to breed and, you know, not anything to be ashamed to carry home and do a good job. But I think the bottom end, as far as numeric, Num- lot numbers in their ears. They're just younger bulls. Uh, we called hard. Uh, as we've found out, I mean, there's not every registered animal needs to be a breeder. And uh, well, there's a spot for those. And let's be real honest. Uh, 
once you sell over a certain amount, you're going to run out of stuff mm-hmm. as far as bitters. But no, the bulls, they're good footed, uh, good jointed. Uh, we've used some bulls that have helped with the feet. I think the foot quality is something when you look at retention of customers is something that uh, we're uh, excited about. Uh, you know, these these resilience, this will be the first group of those that we have sold. I uh, really like them. I mean, I'll, I'll let the cat out of the bag if anybody's talked to me. My favorite bull in the sales a lot, Seabull. Uh, he is... Uh, He's a resilient out of a Keneally Glory Thunder, uh, double-digit calving ease, top 15% marbling. But I think when you look at his and I, his dam we just flushed, uh, his grand dam was a donor. You look at the bull, he's a soft-made bull, a lot of shape, a lot of look, quiet, great-footed, a lot of performance. Uh, you know, he's one that, that checks all the boxes. Uh, we... Uh, We've got another crop of these butchers trustees. Uh, really, those cattle—they're dense made, uh, a lot of rib, a lot of marbling. Um, probably the best footed. We use that bull to improve feet, and he did not disappoint. Uh, those cattle—I will kind of a disclaimer on those. Um, They—we used him to moderate cow size just a little bit, so they're going to be. The, the A bulls probably the outlier as far as he's a little bit bigger frame for the bulls in that group. But, uh, yeah, they're going to put shape. They're going to tone stuff down, fix feet. There was a certain cross-section of those cows that, that that's what they needed, and that's what we did. We took a year off from breeding to him, and then we got some wet two-year-old daughters. I think I found some of the last semen on earth on him, and I'm glad that we had it to use. So... And then the sunbeams, those cattle, uh, they're easy fleshing. They're really good jointed, just quiet cattle. Uh, Maybe not as refined in their look as, say, some like the resilience. I mean, those two, resilient sunbeam would have the most uh, representatives in the sale. Uh, You know, the one dark fire sun that sells his lot for, he is a tank. Uh, He... uh, he is out of a cow we sold in the 21 sale. We'd flushed her before we sold her. And uh, flush sister to him, he's got three of them that are two-year-olds. And one of them, she'll she'll see the donor pen next year. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just in general, uh, we've got a lot of dark fire influence. We're selling some grandsons there. Uh, there's one... Uh, the Lot 23 Bull is a uh, EMB plus one out of a black granite cow. That that bull is a product of an embryo I bought from the Sheathelbine program in Minnesota. There is a full brother to Dark Fire in here, Lot 19. Um, just kind of, I'm just kind of going through the sire groups. We've got another set of profiles in here. Those cattle, that profile was the sire of the top selling bull that went to Colorado last okay. year. Those daughters are working well. We've got two-year-olds, and then these profile bulls. Uh, we've got two flush brothers out of a donor. The lot's 27 and 32, and then you'll see the profile bulls peppered through here, the uh, bull that worked real well for us. And let's see. 
Uh, lot 33, R.E.S. Cool. I think it, that no, there's a 40, lot 45 too. Couple, yeah, cool. The those the cool genetics that we've got in the sale. We I think we've got a few out of cool daughters, and then we uh, the lot able from the 2022 sale. The 035 bull, he's a cool son. He uh, He's the sire of some of these that are named cool in here. That's what that is. Okay. And it's I think it's also important to mention that I, the majority of these bulls qualify for the Tennessee Act. Yes, there's, uh, there's one of them that we just knocked out of the sale, the lot eight bull. But there's – and the ones that are that are out, it's from a Cavanese birth weight standpoint – and I tell you what, and uh, one thing we've noticed in change, and I'm one of the most appreciative people on earth for the Tennessee Ag Enhancement Program um, and their message. I think a lot of people went so far down the calving east mm. and they just started stacking generations, stacking generations. The last three years, and a lot of people come to me and I'm like, well, they always want to have a bull. No, we want we want a cowboy. We want more pounds. So that's uh, that's something we're seeing. And uh, honestly, it's about fifty fifty cabinets to cowboys. People want to see more pay weight when they market their cattle. And, and I've heard several people say that we kind of went over the top on cabinets and the. The structure of the animals kept, you know, it's starting to show up in that again. Yes. Um, which is kind of, it's an interesting deal. But, you know, on the, the ag enhancement side of it, um, you know, you got your your balancers and you got your cavities and right. the terminal right. side of it. And, um, I'm curious, the, I, I didn't realize Kentucky had kind of an ag enhancement program. They were kind of the founding fathers of it huh. when the tobacco pile came through. So, yeah, we uh, I think Tennessee saw the the good that it was doing mm-hmm. up in Kentucky and and visited with those guys in Kentucky that 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 assembled that program and decided we needed something down here and I think that uh, I don't know enough about the Kentucky program and the way it's structured compared to ours. Uh, I know that it's still in existence. As far as y'all's customer base. What would you say kind of the rough percentage is of, say, producers in Tennessee versus Kentucky or just like you mentioned Colorado earlier? As far as the bulls, uh, I'd say 90% of the bulls go to Kentucky or Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And then if you shove those others out and you just put Tennessee and Kentucky, it's about 50-50. It's about 50-50. You know, this year it might be 60 Tennessee, 40 Kentucky. Next year it might be the other way around. Right. Because we're right here on the state line. And uh, as far as bulls going out, like, beyond these two states, uh, it just depends. Some years it might not be any. Some years it might be five that go. Mm -hmm. So Now, the cows tend to go travel a little bit further as far as the way you slice that pie up. So. It's interesting. It seems like there's not really a pattern you can follow as far as that goes. You know, it's n- there's not. But one of the things on the the cow side, 
this is the 10th auction that we've done where we haven't run them in the ring. Mm-hmm. And the outreach that using a platform like EV Auction, or, I mean, there's several others. There's Superior, there's Live Auctions, there's CCI Live. The ability of people to sit down, like, you know, four weeks ago, I was ready to chore and get to the house, get in front of a computer and look at something. I was ready to get warm. And uh, <laughs> I think people, the cost of travel and all those things, when they can sit there and they can go through 10 sales a day, if they preview 10 sales a day, mm-hmm. I'm not saying watch 10 auctions a day, but when things get put up, look through that. And have the ability to call the producer and pick their brain. I think it's been a game changer. And I think that is a lot of what has got those females moved further away mm. from the nucleus. That, that makes sense. And we, for, you, I guess for me, I underestimate the... I'm used to going to in-person sales. I'm not right. used to, to buying online. There was a... Uh, the Travis Tritt song, I think it was Country Ain't Country No More. He talks, one of the, the lyrics is, uh, nowadays people buy heifers online, which, yeah, you know, that was oh, yeah. back in the 90s or whatever, you know, that was just kind of a cutting edge deal that people weren't really used to, I don't suppose. But there's so much of a, <sighs> when you get on DV auction and look at the sales, it's kind of overwhelming in a, in yeah. a way what to look for. And that's why I kind of circle back around to having the trust and the relationship built with y'all where you, you know what you're getting. Right. Which there's a lot of peace in mind with that for you know, people like me. Well, and that's just like when you get into our catalog. And let me find the page here. Say page 11. There's, uh, you know, sales team. And, you know, that's that deal is the auctioneer, the sales manager, the three ring men. And then there's additional sale day phones where they can call Dad, William, myself, my cousin, my cousin, sales manager, and two of my good friends that have been through all the cattle. So we try to make sure that we've got enough contacts to where it's a non-biased opinion. Whether it's whether it's a ring man, an auctioneer. Sale. Of course, I guess a lot of people would say that the auctioneer is getting a percent of the cut, so is the sales manager. A lot of people will call them, I don't talk to them, they're going to get a cut of it. <laughs> So, and I, I get that, and then that's where, and and I trust both both my auctioneer and my sales manager, and I think they're going to be as honest as any, but I get where people's mindset, they know that they're commission-based sure. and all sure. that, but uh, yeah, I've got a good friend, Zach Butler and Andy Higgins, uh, Andy does her pictures, Zach's been through a cow herd extensively, and then Chuck Grove is a ring man that you've, you've seen at several sales. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Jack Hedrick, and then Alex Tolbert, who is in Chuck's old position as the regional manager for our area. So uh, you you think about those guys and their opinions and the amount of cattle they see, they're going to be extraordinarily honest. Plenty of choices for people to right, choose from. Right, right. You know, I mean, and I'll I mean, I'll tell you what I think about them. I might tell you too much about them. I don't know, but. <laughs> Well, and and also on the the same lines, you mentioned page eleven, something kind of. But y'all got a lot of guests this year, like the oh yeah, Tennessee Cattle Association president Dustin Pearson is going to be. Uh, he's invited now. I, I I went to college with Dustin. He's oh. a very busy guy, so I uh, can imagine. I hope he can attend. Uh, I do. 
And, uh, yeah, so, I mean. Dr. Hatcher, the commissioner of agriculture for the state. Dr. Short that works with Zoetis that lives over in Portland. Uh, You know, people from Tennessee Angus Association and then a lot of extension personnel. Um, Of course, Dr. Holt and Dr. Spoonamore that they seem and tested all the bulls. And then Dr. Uh, Holt's been our primary Mm -hmm. vet for over 20 years, so. Well, it's a lot in here to be excited about, Lake. Y'all, I mean, as far as the offer of bulls, the top-notch bulls going to be you. in this sale. Thank you. Um, and people, if they're in the market, it's something they should absolutely consider coming up here and taking a look. Or it's, it's going to be on DV auction. It's already up on DV auction. So. The videos are already on there, I believe, yes. as well. Um, so it, it's, it's a lot to be excited about. Now, we've been going an hour, and I don't want to take up any more of your time. I know you got a lot going on, but right. I, I, you got, I, I just got a fun question I want to ask. Okay. So let's say you're, uh, let's say you're, you're not Lake Elliott. You're some, you're just a regular cow calf producer, you know? So you're, as far as Angus go, you don't have the experience growing up and being around Angus like you have, but let's just say you're a regular cow calf producer crossbreeding. Mm-hmm. If you were going to, if you were trying to create the perfect cow, for where we're at in the state of Tennessee, what would you implement without, if you, you could use Angus, but if you were going to mix something with the Angus. Well, I could make a lot of people that help me out mad right now. <laughs> you might I, not want to answer Because I, I do cross the stream in my acquiring of help and, and picture services and things of that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good things out there. Uh well, and when I say that, where we sit at, I mean, I can see some good by using some ball syndicus influence cattle. Uh, you know, everybody says, well, you throw away your carcass there. Well, but by God, in August when it's 100 degrees and they're not struggling, there's some value to that. Oh, yeah. You got to worry about pink eye necessarily and yeah. some of those other issues. And, you know, there's some continental breeds that offer a lot of pounds um, and, and muscle shape that complement the carcass quality and some of the things in the Angus cows. Uh, you know, the, the old tried and true, uh, old tried and true Herefords. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're seeing, I think we're seeing a lot more of their influence and everyone loves black white face and i think that's where people are starting to source that white face it, herford's becoming more and more popular and they've done a good job of of putting a good product out there mm-hmm. i i guess what i would say in your selection if you're going to go bible and like you said, I'm not Lake Elliott. I'm a commercial person. Some or you are Lake Elliott, but somebody's holding the gun on you, saying Lake Elliott, you got to crossbreed your purebred Angus with something. What are you going to use? Here's what I'd tell you: if you've got the time, when you know, say with me, and you're going, you're you don't have to have a bull for a year. And you're thinking about buying one for me. I'm on your short. I'm on your short list. Go look at those cows and those bull calves a year before they sell. Mm. 
Look at those cow's feet. Look at what those sire groups of those calves that are coming up. Which ones look consistent at that age? Because if you're a commercial cow man, you're looking at what your calf crop could look like. Mm. And when I say look at the feet on the cows, you know, if you see good a good-footed cow herd, that is a sign of investment, you know, how do I put it? Just your confidence in your investment. And I don't, I, I'm not, I, picking one breed is hard because it's kind of like what we talked about. I encourage people to call me because I want to know what you want. I mean, you know, I could list a continental bull if you need muscle shape in your cow. If you got enough muscle shape in your cows, you could use a British breed bull, and like a Hereford, to complement it. And if you've got a shaggy bunch of cows that you're trying to knock the hair off, you go a boss syndicus route. Mm. So I don't, like I said, I could really make some allies mad by picking a breed. <laughs> I think it's more about picking a type of cattle. Sure, exactly. Exactly. Well, hey, I, I appreciate you going where, there with me on that question. <laughs> well, and it. And, you know, I hate to not kind of be noncommittal, but I think at the end of the day, pick good cattle, pick a maternal influence because mm. that's you're buying that bull's dam as much as you're buying the bull. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, if you're if you are keeping replacements, and, and that's where the due diligence comes in of obviously communication. Mm-hmm. With with other people that have had the experience, the experience with you know the progeny that you're talking about, and also you know just spending time doing doing your homework, uh, considering all sources. You know it's it would it's easy just to look at a a catalog and say you know what I like his numbers, I like the way he looks on the video, I'm gonna bet on him. It's mm-hmm. it's helpful to do some some homework, right? Yeah, and, yeah. I mean that's if you don't ask questions, you don't get answers, right? And I've learned that. Now, you can, but you can, I mean, you know how it is. You can have people that ask too many questions and it gets a little old. <laughs> but honestly, and, and what I'm doing, I've, I really can't have that mindset because if you invest in my herd, that is a big investment or something that comes from my herd. So I need to make sure that I sit there and answer all the questions because. Every question is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and y'all do a great job of that. You know, I just, just like you, you mentioned um, a customer that I know. He's never used y'all before, but he called up here, uh, mm-hmm. requested a catalog. Right. You know, just the fact that you're you're open to talk to anybody and everybody and answer yes. those questions and sit down with people and, um, you know, try to meet their goals for what they're looking for. Right. We're in this together. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a seed stock guy. You're. Most of the people I sell to are straight commercial cow cat people. I mean, I'll sell a few bulls to registered people, but I'm just kind of in the chain of command mm-hmm. to get to the dinner table. So the cog in the machine of, of, of what's on the table. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, that's kind of the way we look at it. And like I said, uh, you want me to give my phone number? Yeah, or, whatever information you want to give, yes. absolutely. Uh, 
just to keep it simple, all our phones are uh, are lit up right now. Uh, Dad and I especially. Uh, my uncle is dealing a lot more with the uh, trying to figure out this greenhouse and tobacco thing right mm-hmm. now with the people don't know what, how big their contracts are or anything like that. But I will just leave my phone number and email address. Uh, my phone number is 615-483-2444. And my email address is R-E-S-D-U-B-M-A-N at gmail.com. And you can feel free to, uh, you can do either one of those. If you're on Facebook, I have a profile. It is Lake Elliott. Feel free to leave me a Facebook message if that is more of your level of comfort. Mm. And uh, I'll be checking all those platforms religiously and getting back to you with any information you need. Several avenues there to get a hold of you. Right. And uh, just to uh, let everyone know, a few little housekeeping deals. We'll finish our breeding soundness exams on the bulls this next Wednesday. I will have a full roster of the bulls in the sale, or at least I can update what the outs are. They're listed in the catalog. Uh, we will uh, sell on the sale cows. We will preg check them next Friday. Uh, Dr. Holt will be in here ultrasounding them. We'll have uh, complete and updated pregnancy info there. Uh, one thing, talking about doing things a little different, uh, We're selling a few uh, select packages of semen this year on some deceased bulls that were very um, successful in our herd in the Angus breed uh, between Final Answer and Niagara. Mm -hmm. And then we're selling some frozen embryos in the uh, offering also. So uh, three or two sets of three embryos that are full sibs to the lot 51 cow and then uh, three Deer Valley Uniques. Out of the lot 51 counts. First time we've ever offered frozen genetics. And the other thing is people have always kind of asked me if I'd move my sale to July because they always say it rains and we need an arc here (laughs) at the end of February. If, um, If things are too wet to park here, we will have a satellite or a... I say satellite, a uh, shuttle service, and our satellite locations will be the uh, Stroudsville Church of Christ to the, is that south of here, and then north of the farm, Harmony Baptist Church. So if you'll check uh, my Facebook page before the sale, I'll make sure that depending on which direction you're coming to the sale, uh, if you need to take the shuttle, you don't drive past us and burn up the roads. You can just stop there, and we'll have a shuttle to run you into the sale. And you might even have Stephanie Barnett being your driver. I look, I look over one year, and she was driving one of the vans, and I thought that's kind of neat. You know, it's starting with the place you get the bull from and ending with the place you sell your calves to. Yes, you know? yes. Uh, I I will give Stephanie and even the whole Kentucky-Tennessee livestock family. Uh, I won't say just the Barnett. It is a family over there. And they have been so good to us and our customers and just 
the overall ag community. Mm-hmm. So I uh, appreciate our friendship and, and bond with those guys. Wonderful people to do business with. Yes, you know, absolutely. We're very fortunate in that way. Absolutely. Well, Lake, I'm not going to hold you up any longer. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, and I appreciate you taking the time to come on here and you know let everybody know what what a Elliot uh, Robert Elliot Sons of Sale is like, and y'all been in the business a long time. And it's definitely something worth considering coming to, even if you're not in the cow business. Maybe people just want to come up here and co-mingle. It seems, yes, it, it's it's quite the social event for a lot in the community. Yeah. So, uh, But, no, we would be glad to have you. We'll be serving lunch probably starting at about 1030 that morning. Uh, bulls will be all except for the ABC herd bulls. Those bulls will be pinned by about 1 o'clock on Saturday for your viewing. And by 2 o'clock on Sunday, I should have the entire offering cows, calves, bulls, herd bulls in place. So, okay, so late well, late Saturday and Sunday, if people were interested, if people are interested and don't, there's still people that don't want to be around crowds, or they they've got a town job and they want to bid on DV, but they want to see the cattle in person. Doors open. Uh, you can call me or or anyone else in the catalog prior to those dates if you've got time. Uh, just if you could give us a little heads up, I've got several kind of appointments. Mm-hmm. And we would love to fit you in and show you around and answer any questions that you have. Accommodate you any way you, that you need. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Lake, again, man, I sure appreciate your time. And uh, best of luck to y'all this this upcoming sale in a couple of weeks. It's a, a really good show on the cattle that are going to be in it, so people should really consider it. And um, y'all, hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to tune in next week for another one. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Grazing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and come pay us a visit at Robertson Cheatham Farmers Co-op.